Welcome back to the Movie Battle Podcast. This week, you've got myself, Colin, and I'm joined by Spencer as we talk about the DCEU. So the universe is coming to an end here with the release of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. We're here to talk about some highs and lows, some winners and losers, some of our favorite moments, and a few takeaways that we can kind of gather from the industry and this franchise as a whole. So remember, you can always check us out online at moviedbabble.com and enjoy this week's episode of the Movie Bevel Podcast. It's, it's such a weird universe that, you know, started off as just kind of something that was trying to keep the good vibes from the Dark Knight trilogy going. And I, I have suspicions that they were hoping that Christian Bale would somehow wrap into it somehow, because uh, a lot mm-hmm. of like, a lot of the imagery and like the actual logos and stuff from the Dark Knight trilogy made it into Man of Steel and then got washed away. But it's just become such a weird train wreck of trying to imitate Marvel and then trying to do its own thing in too extreme of a direction and then, you know, becoming the shill for HBO Max and then Max and whatever it will be called after Max, Max Plus Discovery. Uh, it's just such a strange, strange 10 years it's been watching this explode and implode at the same time. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, you know, there was a there was a point where if you would have asked me about doing this podcast, I would have had like much different feelings than I do right now. Like I'm thinking of the time in probably like 2016, 2017, when the MCU was like on top of the world and superhero movies were like not super grating or uninteresting, like kind of how they've been the past few years. Um, and now I kind of like look back on the DCEU as kind of like this really it's it's a mess kind of like we've alluded to but it's it's also kind of interesting and endearing in kind of a weird way to me just because it's it's had so many different directions and so many hands on the steering wheel that it it just like it's it it truly I think is going to be looked back on as one of the most bizarre and baffling times in, in comic book history. Yeah, it is just, it's so weird. Uh, but with that, um, I think let's go ahead and dive into our bottom three rankings. So the way this will work is we'll work from third, from the bottom on down and we'll just go kind of round robin it. I'll go ahead and tee us off. So with uh, with great applause, I will introduce uh, my bottom three, which I don't think this is going to be too distinct from what the internet probably thinks the bottom three are. Um, as we were putting this together, I had some very mixed thoughts on a few of these, but my, my third from the bottom is the 2017 Justice League. Um, that is the, the Joss Whedon version. And I'll start with uh, the fact that I spent my literal last dollar on this movie. Uh, way back in 2017, I was very financially irresponsible uh, and ended up having much less money in my bank account than I thought I did. And the night before I realized that all happened, I went to go see Justice League. I uh, splurged, got the collector's cup, you know, for, for Superman. Yeah, and uh, woke up the next morning and realized I had spent my actual last dollar and then <laughs> this movie had sent me into the negatives. So uh, that's my my first impression of Justice League. I think I've seen it 
maybe once since then. And then whenever the Snyder Cut came out, I watched that again. But depending on who you ask, that's a different movie. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to put Justice League, the Justice League cut uh, firmly at third yeah. from the bottom. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say the Justice League, as as I think the Snyder Army calls it, is you know the Justice League. Um, so I actually also had Justice League twenty seventeen, but I had an honorable mention that I'll put as my third from the bottom, just to make it a little bit different. So my third from the bottom is gonna be the Flash, um, which is obviously the most uh, recent. As of now, DCEU, as we're recording this, just right before Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, I think it's good. Is it The Lost Kingdom? Yeah, just yeah. before that hits theaters. Um, yeah, The Flash is... Um, it's a bad movie. Like, I don't really know what else <laughs> to say. Like, I, I walked in, I guess, kind of with my expectations a little bit all over the place because I'd heard some people say oh, this isn't near as bad as I expected it to be, and oh, Michael Keaton is in this movie, and all these kind of conflicting conflicting reports on the movie, and I thought the movie was awful, and it felt like it went on for way too long. The third act of this is maybe my least favorite third act in any of these movies. Um, it's it's just a, it's just a mess, and I, I did not... I not think there was really anything good about the movie. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I personally hope you're not tired of talking about The Flash because it does appear uh, here pretty soon on my list. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we'll, we'll go with number two. No need to dwell on, on the uh, least favorites for too long. So I worked at the movie theater when my second From the Bottom came out. And I don't know if you remember the golden year of 2016, but the hype for this yeah. movie was pretty insane. Uh, Will mm-hmm. Smith had kind of started making a resurgence after I, I'm going to say, I don't think Will Smith's career has ever fully like dipped in a, a complete, this guy's obscure sense, but he w- had not really done anything that was a massive hit in a while since, you know, I am legend in pursuit of happiness. Like Will Smith was back. He was on the cast list for this movie that hasn't given it away already. Uh, but the hype for this was pretty insane. Like people were excited for this movie. Uh, I was excited to see Killer Croc brought to life for the first time, which <laughs> soon became a severe disappointment. But yeah, people were going nuts, happy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> people were going nuts for Harley Quinn. Like the hype for this movie was everywhere, uh, and that is Suicide Squad, not the Suicide mm-hmm. Squad, just just regular Suicide Squad. And I feel like what happened with this movie, like the the problems that David Ayer had in the studio ripping control has been pretty well documented, but even in 2016, when this came out and I was not nearly the cinephile that I am today, meaning I pretty much still only watch like big budget Disney properties. (laughs) Uh, But even then I could tell, I was like some executive in 2014 saw guardians of the galaxy and was like, wait, we have to do that. And so they took whatever the original intention for suicide squad was, they ripped it up and put it to a bunch of pop music and somewhat retro covers. And we're like, here we go. We have Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I think on my blog at the time, my review of it was like Suicide of the Squatic Sea or something. Something like that. Just because it, it feels so much like a such a poor accountant's interpretation of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, this is 
my worst movie of 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 the DCEU by far. Like I don't think anything comes close. And it comes down to this is barely a movie. Um I'll just talk about it now, I guess. Uh yeah, it's it's Oh dear. Uh I saw this movie once in theaters and um I like had uh I have a cousin who was like I think he was like 10 or 11 at the time. So it's like the perfect age for this type of a movie. And um, we were wa- like, I would have walked out probably had he not been there because I, ha- I hated this movie so much. And when we were walking out, I was like, oh, so what'd you think of the movie? Did you like it? Because um, I wasn't going to just rip into the movie just in case he liked it. And he's like, I didn't really like it. And I was like, oh, OK, if it's not appealing to like a 10 year old, then this movie's just a complete and utter failure. Um, yeah. There is so much about this movie that is so baffling. None of it makes any sense. Uh, it's it's just it's just a mess. Like I I don't know any other way to say. It. And like you said, it it reeks of studio interference. But even then, I don't think David Ayer is like the right filmmaker for this type of a property. Just judging off of his other work, you know, you have things like fury and sabotage and he's going to make this movie that's supposed to be this kind of wacky and um kind of goofy tone like comic book tone and he just like didn't seem like the right filmmaker the right fit for it so yeah i agree with you this is a terrible movie uh, it's one of the worst blockbusters of the 2010s i would say so that's where i, I praise yeah <laughs> So if that was your number one, you want to go ahead and do your number two, and then we'll yeah. Head into and it one. it was kind of a um a like push pull between this and the Suicide Squad because I really dislike this movie. But my number two is going to be Man of Steel, um, which I want to start by saying Zack Snyder seems like a really like cool person, like. From what I've read about him, he seems like a, a decent guy. Um, that said, his movies really don't work for me. Uh, this was kind of he like what people don't really remember, I guess, is that he was like a pretty uh, people liked him at this point when he signed on to do Superman for Man of Steel, even though he kind of did Sucker Punch kind of the the air around that movie was people being like, oh, he missed this time, but he'll probably come back and like knock it out of the park with Superman. And what it comes down to, the reason why I dislike this movie so much is I just hate his um, interpretation, his approach to this character. Like it's, it feels completely wrong to me. Like the 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 between this and Batman v Superman, the there's like this. Oh, Superman is this alien. He's something that we need to fear. Like he's there's all this really weird um crazy type of type of like there's a crazy approach to this character where he's not something that you aspire to he's something that you look up in the sky in fear of and like he's you know he's snapping Zod's neck at the end of Man of Steel and he's just like this really um cold and distant character to me where Superman the Christopher Reeves ones back in like, you know, the seventies and eighties, it was like when Superman was a, like, he's like the best of us. And he's this character who is meant to be something that we like aspire to be. And, um, yeah, just, just Zack Snyder's approach and making it so dark and 
upsetting and having you know Pa can't like be like oh people will be scared of you if you if you like reveal yourself to everyone else it just it just totally every every choice he makes in the movie I feel like is the wrong one for me for my taste with Superman I know there are people who defend and and like this movie a lot but I just I really don't like this movie yeah I like Zack Snyder a lot more when he's just playing in his own sandbox full of things he made up. Like, I think Rebel Moon, I'm excited to watch it even if I don't Same. love it. I Same. think Army of the Dead did a lot of really interesting things with that yeah. genre. Um, yeah. Still, like, didn't love it, but I'd put it far above here. And even within the DC universe, I'm not going to, it's not in either my top three or my bottom three. Uh, but I think Batman versus Superman is a far more interesting movie than most of the things that have come out in the genre even if it's i agree with that horribly flawed yes like it's, yes it's bad but i don't think it's yeah. a good movie but it is an interesting movie and at yes. least it's trying to chew off a lot and that's why i have it pretty significantly higher than even man of steel Hmm. yeah that like i i kind of thought at first is batman versus superman belong in this spot but then i was like no because that movie at least like does stuff it tries stuff that's like kind of like you said, for me, it doesn't work in most instances, but it's like trying to do things that are different and kind of kind of fascinating, like when you think back on it. So, yeah. So my bottom worst DCU movie that uh, I kind of already spoiled is going to be The Flash. I this this was the kind of movie that as soon as it started, I was like just checking my watch. I was like, how long left? How long left? How long left? <laughs> and it was like. I had and seen the some of the was early... always one hour. <laughs> I had seen the early reactions and I was like, it can't be that bad. And then it's just the scene with the babies in the CGI. Like the CGI, you can say it's stylistic. It was really bad. And it was also just nonsensical CG in, in a certain degree. Like I couldn't really tell like what the Flash's super speed was actually helping him accomplish and it's just it's just a mess and they were like supergirl is in this movie i completely forgot supergirl was in this movie because she shows up for about oh, two same. scenes and then she just gets her shit rocked by a cgi michael <laughs> shannon <laughs> over and over again and it, even michael keaton coming back as bruce wayne like i understand that's the big selling point of the movie but like he's just an old guy in a bat suit it was kind of funny watching like, my favorite parts of this movie were watching his, like, 1980s Tim Burton tech interact with the world of Man of Steel and watching him, like, monkey crawl around some Kryptonians. Uh, but other than that, it's just it's not good. And then it ends in just this horrible blur of AI faces oh. that creates nostalgia for things that didn't even exist. Like, when... Yeah. I was I was offended when George Reeves and Christopher Reeves show up because I was like, come Dude. on, they're dead. We're going to AI their faces. And yeah. then when Nicolas Cage comes out, I'm like, this isn't even real. This doesn't exist. This isn't something <laughs> anyone can have nostalgia for because it's not real. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that was there was a point in The Flash in that clusterfuck of CGI at the end there that like I honestly thought that like i had died and went to hell like <laughs> like i was in the seventh circle of hell or something along those lines because me and you have kind of 
often with this wave of nostalgic superhero movies that we're in the midst of with like the multiverse stuff and all of that we've messaged each other and like kind of you know complain like old grumpy men about how like how just like disconnected we feel from this like hype train of nostalgia that people have but in the flash like i actually it like hit a low i never thought we would be unfortunate enough to see like in in superhero films yeah that sequence made me wish that uh teller's calculations had been correct and the (laughs) trinity test had ignited the atmosphere i was like total destruction would have been worth it if it meant no one ever saw this yeah yeah it was it was really bad like i agree with you this it's it's just oh yeah i don't like to think about it honestly Well, with that, would you like to get slightly more optimistic and tackle the top three? Yeah, sure. Um, So this is kind of uh, where I kind of might be breaking some rules. So I'm going to have to maybe have you rein me in. Um, (laughs) But do you want me to start with my number three? Yeah, if you want. uh, Go ahead and start with three and we'll work our way up. And, And depending this could be my number one (laughs) so um my number three is the suicide squad the 2021 film uh by james gunn um so complete opposite like we have a suicide squad on each end of the spectrum for me at the very top and at the very bottom and it just comes down to this is how it looks when you do it right um this movie really leans into its r rating which i really respected I liked the characters. I thought the cast was great. It felt like the people who are wasted before, like uh, Joel Kinnaman, for example, is like used really well in this movie. And I really liked him, which made me realize he's actually a pretty solid and charismatic actor, um, which the first film most certainly did not. Um, But on top of that, I think that there's a lot of really clever and interesting set pieces I I love uh, the I love the opening scene that you know sets up like oh there's this there's this group who's basically the cannon fodder who we send in and they're the actual like suicide squad out of the group and it's 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 just like any movie that opens with Pete Davidson getting his face like blown <laughs> off and then everybody else like just dying horribly is is something I'm into. Um, yeah, it has James Gunn signature, like, kind of, oh, this is a movie about misfits who are, like, learning to uh, communicate with each other and work as a team. And um, I just, I really, really love this movie. I, I think it's I think it's an awesome movie. I agree with you. I have it a little bit higher up. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump into my, my number three and then circle back to it. Yeah. So... For my number three, I have a runner-up, which I didn't count, and then an actual number three. Uh, so I'm going to plug okay. Blue Beetle, because I don't really know. They, they're they very vague on whether or not that's actually a part of this universe or the next one. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. It gets an honorable mention. But my, my actual number three is going to be the 2019 Shazam. And I think okay. I, I like this movie. I don't love this movie. Um, I think it really was the first... DCEU movie to have heart 
I'll, I'll take that back. There's there's another movie that came out a little bit sooner. I'm trying to get my timeline in order. Uh, but it's one of the few DCEU movies to really have heart and really have an actual human character at the center of its story. And I think emotionally it, it hits a lot of its beats well. Uh, when I was a, a wee lad, and you could still call Shazam Captain Marvel, he was my favorite DCEU or DC at that time superhero. Mm. And so it was really cool to see him uh, brought to life on the big screen. I used to watch the uh, reruns of the 1970s or 1980s show with my dad. Um, so I was like, cool, we'd go see Captain Marvel and Rock of Eternity and, and all that fun stuff. Um, so it was nice to see him brought to the big screen. And uh, I enjoyed Zachary Levi and Chuck. So I was like excited to see him not be fodder like he was in uh, the Marvel universe. And I think he does a really good job with what he's given in this movie, somewhat in the sequel, but not nearly as much. Um, and I like it. I think, I think Billy Batson has a really good story as far as uh, the DC universe goes. Uh, the villain isn't too memorable, but Mark Strong is going to do his best with whatever he gets. And I think he absolutely did so here. Um, and I think, just having like straight up demons be the enemies was a, a pretty yeah. cool thing that you don't get a lot in superhero movies. Yeah, it kind of um, I heard somebody say that it has like the Joe Dante film vibes like Gremlins and, you know, those movies that kind of like uh, I, I grew up with personally, where it's it's like the they're not it's not afraid to be a little bit more kind of dark and crazy. So, yeah, Shazam's a fun movie. I did like Shazam, so. Um, say it one more time he appears yeah <laughs> uh so moving on to my number two um this is where i kind of start maybe stretching the rules a little bit um my number two is peacemaker uh which is actually a series the hbo series um it's kind of a continuation of the suicide squad uh obviously because it features one of the main characters played by john mm -hmm. cena um, and this show is awesome. It's one of my favorite superhero things that's ever come out. Like it's, it's so, um, it's so interesting. It continues that tone of the Suicide Squad that's incredibly dark, but also very funny. It has the best opening credit scene, like of anything ever. It's so good. And, uh, it's just, it's just all around a really, really entertaining and fun time to watch. So uh, I love it. Peacemaker. Yeah, I hadn't considered TV shows as a as a ranking in the list, but I like it. I would probably put it up in my top three or at least top four had I, you know, thought about that beforehand. <laughs> but well, I did it's, put... It's not going to stop there. I'm, I'm <laughs> warning you. <laughs> I did put something starring Peacemaker as my number two, and that is okay. The Suicide Squad. Don't forget the the... the yeah and yeah it's i think it's really kind of fun that james gunn and Zack snyder are the defining entities behind this franchise because they kind of came up together um dawn of the dead the 2004 was kind of both of their big starts so i think it's kind of funny that you know Zack launched this version of the franchise and james gunn kind of jumped in and is gonna launch or relaunch or retool whatever the next phase is but i really mm -hmm. like this movie it took i think it really perfected the idea of suicide squad because it is a bunch of weirdos um and it's you know characters who were never ever going to get a spot in a movie under anybody else i mean you got 
David Desmalchian plays a weird little freak, yeah. which is my favorite thing in any movie. Uh, but you have like you have Polka Dot Man, Calendar Man makes a cameo. You have Weasel, that guy whose arms come off. Um, yeah, what just... was his name? He's so <laughs> Nathan Fillion plays him, but I forgot his name. He's so funny. It's amazing. Uh, but you have you have so many weird corners of the DC universe that come here, and it's it's really funny because you have all of these very comic book characters. I mean, the villain is a giant space starfish. Yeah, but it's you know, one of the grittiest and most grounded of the DC films at the same time, because it is, you know, people are dying. Like there's real stakes to the things that are going on. Even if it is this fantastical, everyone's going to get mind controlled, which I think is also funny because that was the threat in the first suicide squad. And you don't feel those stakes at all. But in this one, there's actually a, like a degree of menace and tension there. And, because that opening scene is such a bloodbath, you really feel like, oh, anybody in this movie can die at any time. And up until the, the finale, like that stays true. People are dying constantly from from the go to the end of the line. Yeah, uh, I already kind of talked about this, um, but yeah, it's the one of my favorite scenes in like any superhero movie of like the past 10 years is the scene where um, dead shot. Is that his name? Deadshot? Bloodsport? Bloodsport. Deadshot and, is uh, Will Smith. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Bloodsport and Peacemaker are just laying waste to that camp, and they find out that's like <laughs> resistance allies like to them. It's <laughs> such an amazing scene. And like you said, it it's like it's crazy that a movie, yeah, where you got this giant, like interdimensional starfish that's the villain for the third act of the movie, it manages to feel like the one that has like the most kind of like interesting stakes and the the one that the the heroes feel really yeah grounded and it's it's just really gritty and fun i i really like it so with that you want to move into the number one spot <laughs> yeah and one thing i wanted to say is if peacemaker doesn't count my number two would have or i guess it, this still would have been my number two it would have been birds of prey um if i had to choose a movie um but my number one, which is really where I think I'm breaking the rules, but it's a DC property that came out in the past 10 years that um, isn't being continued into the future. So that's why I chose it is the HBO series Watchmen, um, which mm. is which is a sequel to Watchmen. Like I said, I think I'm cheating here, but um, any opportunity I can get to try to convince people to watch Watchmen, I'll take. I think that it's like one of the best continuations of anything ever. It, it might be my favorite piece of superhero me media ever made. Like, I think that it is, it's about something really interesting and, and timely. Um, it's got some great performances. There's great like twists and turns that the series takes. So um, I, I love it. If this doesn't count, then the suicide squad would be my number one. Birds of prey would be my number two peacemaker. Um, or Peacemaker would be my number two, Birds of Prey would be my number three, or Aquaman if no TV series counts. So, um, Watchmen, HBO series. See, that's another thing that, now that you put it out there, I'm like, yeah, I would agree. Um, I also okay. love Watchmen, just to plug it. Last week, I had the thought, after seeing Gene Smart in Babylon, be like, hey, I should watch Watchmen again. And then yesterday, 
HBO blew it out of existence. So I think that it was I just was taken off for that. a second, but it's it. I think it's back on. It's back now. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm so. less. I'm less upset now then. That's but, one uh, of the reasons why I put it at the top here is because I, when I saw that I was like, oh, I'm plugging Watchmen. <laughs> so, but uh, for my number one, I put Wonder Woman. I think okay. this movie came out. This is only the fourth DCU movie, believe it or not. Uh, but it came out when people had absolutely no faith in <laughs> the DC universe. Yeah, because uh, this this followed hot on the heels of the double whammy of Batman versus Superman and the Suicide Squad, and then came out right before Justice League. So this could not have come out at a worse time in the DC landscape. But it made almost a billion dollars, and it was bold enough to ask the question, what if one of these movies was really good? <laughs> and in my opinion, it was. I, You know, it's it's not something... It Really, none of these movies are anything that I'm aggressively like, yeah, I want to rewatch this. Uh, but I think Wonder Woman was... A really strong movie. It was a, a good blockbuster debut for Patty Jenkins. It really sucks to see her kind of get dragged down in a lot of this. Um, you know, it was Wonder Woman 3 getting canceled that kind of announced the end of the DCEU. And there's a reason why I haven't mentioned Wonder Woman 1984 because it does <laughs> definitely does not sit <laughs> near the top three. Um, but I think this movie's really good. It really humanizes a you know, more or less immortal and vulnerable character, which is something that I don't think this franchise ever really managed to do with Superman. Uh, but I think it's handled really well with Wonder Woman. I just like the World War One setting. It's cool. I, you know, love watching people duke it out in the trenches. And I think her, her walk into No Man's Land, there's a reason why it's in the Nicole Kidman AMC ad, because um, it is one of the most significant and I think one of the most powerful sequences that any of these movies has put together yeah i like this movie but i think that um i i gal gadot just doesn't work for me as as a lead actress like i i don't i don't think she's a good actress i think chris pine is like he runs away with the movie like he's really good in it um and i think the direction is super strong so I like it, but um, I'm not I'm not quite strong. I, I do remember, though, that, well, yeah, when this came out, it was like nobody expected anything of it. And it ended up being the biggest film of the summer of 2017. Like it was massive, like when it when it dropped, it's like it's it, it was really impressive, like how how well this film did and how much it resonated and connected with people. And I agree with you. It was like in this in the scheme of, or the scope of the dceu which was up till that point a huge disappointment um this film was like a breath of fresh air for sure yeah and kind of getting a head start on the next thing we wanted to dive into i feel like wonder woman stands out because it was only it was the only truly female-led dcu movie that didn't come out in the pandemic and so i feel like they learned all the wrong lessons because you know wonder woman was this big success and they, you know, still had a three-year jump on Marvel before Marvel did anything uh, female-centric, unless you count that one scene in Endgame. But they, you know, they put Birds of Prey into production, Wonder Woman 1984 into production. Those both came out, I mean, Birds of Prey literally with the pandemic. Like, the pandemic yeah. <laughs> came out a weekend before Birds of Prey. 
and really mm-hmm. destroyed that at the box office. And then Wonder Woman 1984 was, you know, in that wave of everything's going to debut on Max. Don't worry about going mm-hmm. to the theaters. And so I feel like they pulled the plug. And I think we saw that with Batgirl where they were like, yeah, The Flash, this is definitely a movie we want to, you know, spend 200 million more on to finish and promote. But no, Batgirl's going to destroy the company. Um, and I feel like they started to learn interesting lessons from Wonder Woman and then absolutely did, forgot them. Yeah, uh, man, it's it's interesting that you bring like say say put it that way because I I guess I I totally had forgotten that Captain Marvel really was like the first uh, big MCU movie. So yeah, it's like that. I feel like with with movies like Wonder Woman being like like I said like the biggest movie of summer twenty seventeen, and then um, like Barbie this year being the biggest film of summer twenty twenty three, like people often kind of under undervalue I think female audiences and how much they're willing to show up when when like you when you make something that's good and aimed at them so yeah it's 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 interesting uh if we're if we're talking about like the kind of question of like um what what has been learned from this entire process like I I think that having a person like James Gunn at the helm in like five years ago would have filled me with so much hope towards this but at this point I'm honestly a lot more just kind of like I I want him to do other things like better things (laughs) with his time as a filmmaker like I really like him as a filmmaker and I'd way rather get more James Gunn stuff that's outside of what seems to be a genre that might be like we might be watching it slow death in real time. You know what I mean? Like it's I I just feel like especially with somebody like David Zaslav at the at the helm of Warner Brothers. And we've seen like you you brought up Batman or Batgirl, Batgirl uh, that he just like shelved the movie and we're never probably going to ever see that movie is that might not ever see the light of day um it just it seems to me that it's it's weird because i want to say oh you got james gunn there and he's going to be much more um in the filmmaker's corner you know when they're making these movies and giving them their vision and all that just because he values that type of stuff so much but then you have this like leech at the head of (laughs) of, um warner brothers who i think is gonna like it's like one step forward two steps back is how it feels to me so i don't know like it's it's interesting thinking of how this new era of dc is gonna is gonna go because i do think there will be more coherence and i think ultimately the movies are going to be better but i also don't know if audiences are going to be showing up to them anymore like it's it's just really we're in a really uncertain period i feel like yeah, and I feel like DC, just as a movie studio, uh, not that you know DC itself is the studio, but they've never really had like a firm vision of what their franchises were going to be. So I mean, I mean, they had how much of a head start on Marvel? They were making Superman in 1978, um, and then you know Batman came along naturally after that, and then they just kind of stagnated for a little while, and you know, of course, you got. The Nolan series, which just kind of took the world by storm. And, you know, you had a couple offshoots that never really, really took off to the same acclaim. And then, 
you know, Marvel, who had pretty much been down and out, they had made a lot of movies that people really didn't like. Um, Spider-Man was going strong. The X-Men were every other movie going strong. Um, and then the MCU kind of came out of nowhere, took all these B-listers and turned it into, I mean, the event of the summer from 2012, really until this year, like the Marvel movie of the summer was the event of the summer. And mm -hmm. so I think you can see right out of the gate, you know, with Man of Steel, I talked about how it feels like they really wanted Christian Bale to somehow be incorporated into this because there's a lot of like imagery from the Dark Knight trilogy in there. I mean, like the Wayne Enterprises logo and all that's all the same. And even at the time, there were like rumors swirling around. Um, everyone loves that bad Photoshop of Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Nightwing. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, you can see where they kind of turned and were like, oh, we're going to make this actually, it's not an origin universe. We're going to make this a universe that's lived in. And the problem is they just kind of put it together with the same lived-in care as they did with the Star Wars sequels, where you're like, here's this world. We're not going to explain how any of it came to be, but here's some things you recognize. And I think that's apparent in Batman versus Superman. It's apparent in Suicide Squad 2016. Um, it's just kind of littered throughout where there was never a grand vision. So I think, yeah, it is cool that you have James Gunn stepping into kind of a Kevin Feige role, where at least you have one person who's making these decisions and can kind of lay the course. But at the same time, it could not be put together by a more chaotic studio head yeah. and studio at this time. Yeah, it it's crazy. It's it's so like I said, it just feels like we're in a big question mark right now in terms of both the big superhero studios. Like it's just like like James Gunn, if he had been walking into this gig like in 2017 or something, you'd it'd be way more like seem way more optimistic like about about the the time. Like it's it's just it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see where we go from from here. Yeah, and I think there's enough hope, at least for his movies at the start, because you look at Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was Marvel's biggest hit, and if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken, it was Disney's biggest hit this year. Yep, and I think it was. if Barbie and Oppenheimer prove anything, it's that there are still people who will latch on to a director and be like, they are making this, I'm going to go see it. Mm -hmm. And I think Superman Legacy is going to be pretty pivotal. I, th I think it's going to be banking on James Gunn more than it's going to bank on Superman. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what this universe needs. And that's, you know, ultimately what the earlier Marvel movies were doing is you were, you were banking on Favreau. I mean, Kenneth Branagh directed Thor, which is, uh, I think a, a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Crazy. even, even Joss Whedon had a lot of credit at the time. Like you were, you were banking on the people making the movie. Um, and even, you know, you look at the Russo brothers, say what you will about their work since then but you know they were they were the guys who directed the paintball episodes of community which were mm -hmm. the biggest deal on tv at the time yeah and so i think if they can kind of keep that in mind and bank more on the artists than the properties i think there's hope but if it continues to be like well we need to rush this character out because we own them then i think we're going to be in the same spot in five years yeah I think that what it comes down to is that Superman Legacy is going to have to be an awesome movie. Like, it's going to have to be really, really good to get people, I think, 
back into back into the zone with this because people will show up for a Superman movie like it's it's gonna happen especially because I think James Gunn's gonna nail the tone but it's like will they keep showing up after that and it's just you know it people showed up for Ant-Man you know in 2015 <laughs> which is an obscure character but that Marvel was on top of the world at the time so it's gonna be interesting to see yeah and I think at least from what we've seen so far, it's going to be a much different Superman movie. It's not going to be mm-hmm. here's Superman and all his human friends. It's here's Superman and all these weirdos. Also, you have people who are recognizable enough. Um, and some of the leads, I am beyond excited that Rachel Brosnahan is going to be Lois Lane. I think that's phenomenal. I will watch Midge Maisel wipe the floor with Clark Kent and Lex Luthor all day. Um, <laughs> and I think Nicholas Holt, who also plays a lot of weirdos. I think him as Lex Luthor is going to be really interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I have a lot of hope in James Gunn. So with that, we'll uh, let's jump into some winners and losers. So for this part, we don't necessarily want to talk about the movies themselves, but I want to talk about, you know, who kind of walked away from this winning and who really walked away from it losing. So I'll start. Uh, one of one of the biggest winners, I think, in this whole franchise is Ben Affleck. So if you, you take yourself back a long time ago to the year 2013, 2014 was when he was announced as being cast, people pretty much hated Ben Affleck. And it was yeah. because of Daredevil. Last week I watched Surviving Christmas, which is a comedy he did with James Gandolfini in like 2003. And it made me hate Ben Affleck a little bit. And I was like, okay... Like, he, he was not a popular guy when this was announced. People kind of went nuts. They're like, are you kidding me? You're going to make, like, this pretty boy. He's going to be Bruce Wayne, you know, having to follow the most popular Bruce Wayne of all time. But for better or worse, I think these movies pretty well redeemed him. Like, people love Ben Affleck right now. Um, and I think he's had a more interesting career this side of the DCEU than he has before it and he has i mean he was in goodwill hunting he has some pretty good movies before it but i think you look at something like like that came out this year like air which i absolutely love um i think i think this universe redeemed him and i think his time as batman even though it doesn't seem like something he's ever really been you know too enthusiastic about after the debut i think it absolutely did wonders for what audiences think of him yeah uh I think that's an interesting like take. I think the real winner here is Ben Affleck's public image, like in terms of Batman, because I don't I don't know how much he enjoyed making the movies. <laughs> like we've seen all the all the memes. <laughs> like it seems like Ben Affleck has a lot of really um he seems to constantly be having an existential spiral from the look <laughs> of just how he how he looks. But uh I don't know. I think it's interesting because I was not on the wave of people who was hating on Ben Affleck when he was um, cast. But I remember it well because, uh, you know, he was coming off of like The Town, which is a good movie, in my opinion. He was coming off of a Best Picture win from Argo. And it, it just like seemed like Ben Affleck to me, um, somebody who was like, you know, more a little more into film, I guess, than most people. He was like kind of on top of the world at that point. But for the people who kind of gave up on Ben Affleck, which rightfully so, he was in like Jiggly and Daredevil, <laughs> like you said, and 
and like Jersey Girl, all these like movies where it's just like, oh God, like not this guy, Pearl Harbor. Like it, it, it makes sense why people were so just, so I was, I was pretty curious to see his take as, as Batman. Um, and even though I was disappointed in the movies, I thought he was solid as Batman. And like you said, it turned public opinion on him. Everyone seems to really have responded well to his, to his performance as Batman. Um, so I'd agree, like overall Ben Affleck is like a quote unquote winner or more so, in my opinion, Ben Affleck's public image is is what is the real winner. Well, I'm glad we agree that Ben Affleck is cool. <laughs> uh, but if you want to head into your uh, first winner for the DCEU and who kind of walked away from this with a big dub. So my first pick for a winner, um, I'll start with actually this one, uh, the Snyder Army. Um, they're they're winners here uh because you know they there were there was a point in time i think what people don't really remember is that the conversation around the snyder cut was that it was this complete thing that existed that it was like just hiding underground somewhere or something according to these people they were like it's completely finished Warner Brothers is hiding it from us, the quote-unquote true fans, and <laughs> we are entitled to and deserve it. Like, I'm sure there was somewhere, like, somebody um, planning some type of a heist that they were going to go try to break into Warner Brothers to find the Snyder Cut, um, which, of course, did not exist because then Zack Snyder came and was given the, the resources to make his cut of Justice League. Um, but... Yeah, the Snyder Army, they won that battle. Like, everybody <laughs> would, like, shit on the Snyder Army consistently. It would be like, oh, you guys are lunatics. You guys are a joke. Move on with your life. And who had the last laugh? They probably all own it on 4K now, you know? So <laughs> it's just wild. So I think I would I would consider them a winner in the case. Yeah, it was funny because... The announcement of the Snyder Cut proved that the Snyder Cut didn't exist. Because like yeah. you said, it was it was this mysterious like secret thing that was sitting in a vault in Area 51 and all we had yeah. to do was harass Walter Hamada enough and it would like come see <laughs> them. You know, it would it would crawl out of the, the hollow earth like Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Um but then yeah, it it turned out it wasn't a real thing. <laughs> and then they uh they proved that if you harass studio executives enough over the internet you can eventually get your way and i think all the bots were also winners this was you know kind of riding the wave of the alita army but i mean the mm -hmm. flash won the first honorary oscar in yeah the snyder cut for the flash entering the speed force was the most popular scene um i think yeah lots of lots of real and fake winners in the snyder army <laughs> yeah I think, for me, the other big winner out of the DCEU is Henry Cavill. And I think what I really like about Henry Cavill and is uh, he, he occupies what I like to call the Ruffalo space. Because if you look at Mark Ruffalo, he's in the MCU, he's been around since 2012, but he really only has to show up like every three or four years. So he's playing a popular enough character that he's getting millions of dollars to do it, but he's not actually having to put in work most of the time because, mm -hmm. you know, he's 
he's an add-on in other people's movies. And so he's got all this time to go do more interesting side projects that put Mark Ruffalo out there, which is why he's currently running, you know, post Endgame, and the others are just kind of walking, um, with the exception of Downey, who just recently blew up again. But I think Henry Cavill was in that position for the DCEU, which I think is kind of funny because, you know, he started it. It was supposed to be based around him. Yeah. And you can see that, you know, Man of Steel made a decent amount of money, but it was pretty mixed reviews. I mean, Superman got his ass beaten by Iron Man 3 that year, which I think is really funny. But uh, then Henry Cavill is kind of in that position where, you know, the only other movie where he's the real lead is Batman versus Superman. That came out in 2015, and then he's just free to do all of these other interesting projects, but he's still getting paid his superhero money for showing up in Justice League and cameoing in Black Adam and all these other things. Mm -hmm. But it it really freed him up to do movies that I really like, like Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible, Fallout. Um, You even look at Argyle coming up. (laughs) And I think the DCEU proved that Henry Cavill could be a leading man, and I think The Witcher has continued to prove that. But I think he's a leading man who is smart enough to take supporting roles. And mm-hmm. so he shows up and he's, you know, a good heavy in Mission Impossible or he's, you know, playing a side character with a weird hairdo in Argyle. Um, but <laughs> because he is still a leading man, like he's recognizable. And I think in and of himself, he has enough draw that his career's doing fine, which not everybody in these franchises can say. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you list him as a winner. I would honestly almost list Henry Cavill as a loser in the scope of the DCEU. But when you frame it that way, I think it does make more sense to call him a a winner. Just with the whole how it kind of wrapped up for him is where I kind of like land more towards, oh, he lost his Witcher gig. He lost his Superman gig, all this, you know, it just it seems like he kind of got screwed over by it all. But like you said, he he has been able to be in some, you know, cool projects like Mission Impossible Fallout and the the Man from Uncle. And yeah, I, I, I haven't watched The Witcher, but I've heard the people who like it really like it. And so, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I think I could look at it from both directions. And, you know, it's like it it it's fa- fascinating to think about that, like a him compared to like Affleck who it seemed like Affleck was kind of like done with this he was kind of like oh I don't want to do this anymore and then Henry Cavill who you have someone who's like he was just getting ready to hop back into it you know so yeah it's and I think it's interesting if you compare him to like an MCU counterpart like Chris Evans who is you know playing another beefed up uh, patriotic superboy um, Mm -hmm. you know from around the same set of years and you look at Chris Evans' career post-Endgame, he had Knives Out, which was hit right away. And then it's just a lot of movies that get lost on Netflix. And I, I think because he was in that position, yeah, he was more successful within the universe. But the, the body of work that says, hey, I can do all these other things wasn't there. Whereas Henry Cavill, I, I agree with putting him as, in as a loser within the DCEU because, yeah, he was kind of the face and got it all taken away from him uh but i think it put him in a position where he can he could prove that he could do all these other things and be all these other roles and so now that we're outside of it people are like yeah you can be sherlock holmes with millie bobby brown and you can 
you know, show up and, and be in a Matthew Vaughn film and, you know, who knows what else he can do next. This is like the perfect segue into my next winner. Um, Ezra Miller. <laughs> so, uh, there was a point in time, kind of like we were just talking about with, uh, the Snyder cut, you know, where, what the conversation was around the Snyder cut. There was a point in time where the chances of you being held hostage by Ezra Miller were not 0%. Like, <laughs> this person was on a crime spree across the United States, it seemed like, Bonnie and Clyde style. And, um... <laughs> still had the flash come out despite all of this crazy stuff that went on surrounding Ezra Miller. And, um, I think that that constitutes Ezra Miller is a, a winner in this situation because, you know, with Batgirl getting, getting shelved by David Zaslav, we have a situation where a movie where you have a very unappealing leading star, with Ezra Miller is a um, film that still gets released. And so I would say that I count that as a, as a win for old, old Ezra where, you know, they, they were uh, a leading actor in a huge, massive tentpole summer release that obviously bombed horribly. However, still it came out and the Batgirl didn't. So I would say that's where I stand on that one. (laughs) I think, yeah, at some point after Perks of Being a Wallflower, Warner Brothers decided this kid is our future, and they made him integral to the uh, Crimes of Grindelwald series, the uh, Newt's Commander series, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's it's about a different person every time. But they made him an yeah. integral part, brought him back from the dead. Those movies all flopped. They did the same thing with you know The Flash in Justice League, especially in the Snyder Cut. He was a lot more important, and then again in the flash and yeah it seems like no matter what he did he was still gonna hit the publicity which is kind of insane. it's crazy yeah it's pretty wild <laughs> um i think yeah i think those are some big winners i think margot robbie is a pretty moderate winner i think she would have won regardless of the D- dcu yeah um, i agree she i mean she was already basically everything since wolf of wall street she's touched has worked out for her um, you can, yep. you know, Birds of Prey and the Suicide Squad didn't make as much money, but they still got a lot of attention. Uh, but I, I think it couldn't have hurt her publicity. But I think if you eliminated the DCU from existence, I think we would still be, She'd be sitting fine. on. Yeah. yeah. She'd be in the exact same spot in life, sitting on mm-hmm. top of the mountains of cash from Barbie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the thing is like Margot Robbie has proven herself to be a very like she seems like a very intelligent and savvy person and it's like even like you said birds of prey and um suicide squad they weren't as financially successful as they had hoped for however the conversation around her in those movies is people generally think she's one of the best parts of the movie so it's i think that she like you said that she's unimpeachably a winner when it comes to the dceu yeah and I think, ultimately, the the DCEU obviously didn't work out. Uh, but I think it was, it was important that we had this Burger King in the midst of the McDonald's empire over at Marvel. Because at least there was some counter-programming. There was a mm-hmm. little bit of option. And, and over time, 
this franchise tried to morph itself more like the Marvel films, but at least there was something different. And, you know, hopefully now that Marvel's kind of losing its grip on, you know, dominating, really Disney in general is losing its grip on dominating everything. Hopefully it can, uh, you know, kind of be more of a Wendy's and less of a Burger King in this new era. <laughs> um, can I quickly say my two losers just cause I'm, I'm really, I'm really pleased with these. So the losers of the DCEU for me are Michael Shannon is my first one. The poor guy that seemed miserable <laughs> in the flash, like didn't want to be there, but probably took his beach house and was just like, okay, like I'll, I'll be there for two days like you you have to shoot around me while like I'll take a lunch break and be there you know or whatever but and then the other loser I would say is the rest of us everyone else on the planet (laughs) (laughs) so those are my losers did you have any losers yeah I think Michael Shannon's up there um but he's he's one of those like Tommy Lee Jones uh, Sean Connery types who, if they don't like their movie, they're not going to hide it at all. Um, oh, and they'll, and like Hugo weaving, like the Kings of just absolutely hating everything they've ever done. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at least he's <laughs> proud of it. And even I listened to, he was on armchair expert pretty soon after the flash came out. He was like, I didn't really care. I didn't have to do a whole lot. <laughs> they were like, mm-hmm. We'll pay you money. Just show up, say like a line over three days and then you're good to go. <laughs> exactly. He, he got to buy like a beach house, I'm sure, or something, you know, he got to buy a new boat or there's something along those lines. Like he's not hurting any, but just kind of didn't get to do, you know, a take shelter or a mud or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think my other big winner, and you know, I love to talk about him is David Dismalchian. Um, he just, he plays weird little guys. Um, he started playing them in the dark night. He played one in, this DC universe will probably play another weird little guy in the next one. And I think, I think the suicide squad, he kind of sits in the Margot Robbie boat where, yeah, it didn't make a ton of money, but people really liked polka dot man. And I mean, he's, he's a busy actor. He was in Oppenheimer in a pretty significant role. He was in last voyage of the Demeter, give or take. Um, he's had, he's had busy (laughs) years since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That guy's always working. Like, I always love whenever he shows up. He showed up in The Boogeyman, too, recently. Yeah. So, yeah, he just, he's hes a really good, like, just, I love uh, how James Gunn gave him, like, the chance is just, like, this, you know, small, consistent character actor to to play this, like, kind of bigger role in a Temple movie. It was, it's fun. So, yeah, uh, I'd agree. He's a winner. <laughs> so, as we kind of wrap it up, We'll do some real quick. Do you have any favorite moments from the DCEU? I do. Um, My favorite moment from the DCEU was when the hierarchy of power in the DCEU (laughs) shifted. That's probably my favorite DCEU moment. Um, Yeah. That that might be the best moment ever. Like, not just in the DC universe, in any universe. Called his shot, man. He called it. Did he hit it? <laughs> no, but he called it. <laughs> but he aimed at something, and that's really yeah. what matters. <laughs> yeah, I uh, this this franchise is mostly hit and miss for me. I think my absolute favorite moment out of the entire thing, though, is Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. 
just because he is absolutely going for it. Um, and yeah. particularly his death, I think, is the funniest way any of these big bads has been killed off, where he just gets blown in half and it's so gory and bloody. Uh, just loved yeah. it. He was, he was just this super flamboyant version of the character who's usually just like straight up Italian mobster. And it was a lot of fun. Ewan was having a lot of fun. He met his wife on that movie, or at least worked with her on that movie. So he's a winner in the DCEU. Yeah. It's more interesting than Obi-Wan, so. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, he he's probably the most uh, memorable villain of the whole the whole DCEU, in my opinion. I, I thought he's, I think he's great, like you. So, yeah. That's a good moment, no no doubt. Um, another one of the favorite moments that I listed um, was when I was walking out of the theater after the flash ended, and I kind of was just thinking while I was walking to my car about how the reactions coming out of CinemaCon were people saying this is one of the best superhero movies ever made. Yeah, I uh, I remember like putting my review together and I'm in a, I'm in a Facebook group that loves movies and there's a lot of people who were like raving about it. So I put my review up on letterboxd and one of the guys was like, post this in the group. I dare you. And I was like, I don't want to get excommunicated. <laughs> I'm just going to keep this one to myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was I, like, I can't believe the hype coming out of the CinemaCon screening was really high on that movie. Like, and then it kind of started to go down as it got closer to release. But yeah, I just thought of that when I was leaving the theater. Just um, the double whammy of Michael Keaton following up his Vulture cameo in Morbius with his glorified Batman cameo in The Flash <laughs> is just pretty brutal. Yeah, it's a big oof. Michael Keaton deserves a lot better than that. Like we got to get him away from these, these. Like I'm hoping Beetlejuice two works out for him. We'll see. Well, DCEU, it's it's been a ride. Aquaman two, Aquaman: The Lost Kingdom comes out here in a few weeks, and that's pretty much it. I I'll be surprised because people love Aquaman and the first one way way more money than anyone expected but i mm -hmm. i don't see this one crossing a billion i there's no way yeah there's absolutely no way like if it makes if it makes a billion dollars that i i have completely lost all touch with with the human race and and what what people want to see like it just seems Especially if Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which it seemed like there was more hype around, didn't hit a billion. There's no way that Aquaman's going to hit a billion. That's crazy. Yeah, I uh, I just don't see it happening. And I think it's it's a perfect ending to the DCEU for them to announce that the, the thing is ending a year and a half and three movies before it actually ends. And I think we've watched it. Lip. It it's like uh, Will Ferrell's character in Austin Powers, where he gets shot and he's like screaming for help, and then they throw him into a lava pit and then they shoot him again. That's that's about as smooth as the DCEU's final days have been. Yeah, it it really is gonna feel like going to a funeral for those of us who those of us unfortunate souls who are gonna go and watch Aquaman: The Lost Kingdom. It just ugh, it's. I agree. It's been. 
It's been a, a long, a long illness that's getting snuffed out. It's truly, truly one of the franchises of all time in cinema. <laughs> These are movies that have existed. Um, <laughs> they might continue to exist. The state of <laughs> Warner Brothers, I don't know. There's a good chance they all just get wiped off the face of the earth here in a yeah. few weeks. But it's been fun. It's been a good time talking DC with you, Spencer. We'll be we'll be back soon talking about more movies. Uh, living on the brighter side of the year 2023, you know, away from DC. Maybe someday we'll even be able to do an RIP MCU pod. Who knows? <laughs> it might be just around the corner. Who knows? Yeah. The era of the DCEU is ending, but the universe of Spider-Man owned by Sony characters has just <laughs> begun. So with that, make sure to check us out online at moviebabble.com and we'll talk to you next time.